Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. Anyone who's studied the law or been involved in that profession knows that, uh, that you know the more deeply you look, the more nuanced things become. Uh, in addition, in the practice of law, either whether you're on the law enforcement side or from the perspective of a practicing attorney, I think you also learn quickly that uh, precision and adhering to those nuances can mean the difference between success or failure in the courtroom. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and as we like to do each month on liberty and the law, we're going to delve into some of those fine details during our discussion today. Now, of course, to do that, uh, we need to rely on our experienced professional, Lavelle Law Attorney James Dore. He's always here to share information with us. We've got a lot to cover today. So, James, good afternoon, and once again, thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome, uh, Jim. Good afternoon, and I've been looking forward to this episode of Liberty and the Law. Yeah, good good discussion. Um, you know, over the many months we've been doing this, you and I have discussed DUIs uh, a number of times, and in general, I think our assumption has been that you know when we talk about a DUI, we're talking specifically about a case involving alcohol. Today, we're going to talk about situations that uh, potentially involve the use of of drugs. Um, from a law enforcement perspective, is there a difference during a traffic stop between looking for alcohol or, or drugs, or is it kind of the same procedure? Um, well, from what the, the the officer standpoint, once a vehicle, let's say it's a it's a, a vehicle in, in uh, motion uh, scenario, so the traffic mm-hmm. stop scenario, um, any normal traffic stop, ordinary traffic stop, can lead to just about any kind of arrest. So, in the officer's mind, they don't know what they're dealing with when they first approach a vehicle. So, they're not necessarily limited to a DUI investigation unless they've been watching a car, you know, weave all over the road. Then, okay, mm-hmm. they're going to be thinking about that. But first and foremost, you get the officer's safety. He wants to approach vehicle, uh, ensure his safety, and investigate whatever it is he wants to stop the vehicle for. So if it's something like, say, weaving, and then when he approaches the, uh, the, the motorist, he doesn't detect any odor of alcohol or doesn't have any, any clues that there's alcohol involved, well, then it may prompt the, the officer to go in a different direction. Yeah, and when we talk about that different direction, you and I, um, we've, we've gone through some of the steps that are involved in a, uh, a DUI, some of the tests that take place, and we may touch on those today. Um, but uh, you've alerted me to a, a training program that some police officers have been through, and it's offered by the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And they've sort of set up a, a 12-step protocol. What, what can you tell us about that program? Well, and that's exactly that. It was designed by the, the Illinois Associ- I mean, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, and it was designed for their use to secure more convictions. And the reason it came about was, um, you know, in the 70s in L.A., they had a, uh, this is way back in the, kind of the history of how these things developed, but they had a, a number of DUI arrests, and when they went to give the breathalyzer, these people were significantly under the limit. So they had DUI arrests, DUI alcohol arrests that weren't DUI alcohol. So instead of realizing that they had, you know, they possibly falsely arrested these people, right, the emphasis mm-hmm. went to, ah, how do we get convictions for drug use for these people? So that's how it started, and that, that was the genesis of this, um, these protocols that were later developed um, and that, that we have now, these uh, drug uh, recognition evaluations. 
And, you know, as you look at them, uh, you know, they'll say, oh, an officer is certified. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. They've been through a certain amount of training. But as, as you're saying, really, the program is designed as a way to help police, you know, properly gather evidence, right? Absolutely. And it's, a, it's, it's not only just to, category, to collect evidence, but to be able to testify that about that evidence in court credibly and at the same time have this kind of the title of expert behind their name mm-hmm. They don't necessarily deserve. Okay. And and and, and talk about that because it, 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 in fact there is this drug recognition expert designation as you alluded to. Um, is there value for that in court? I mean, what does what does that really mean when you get that designation? There's value being uh, there's great value in being categorized as an expert in a court of law, but these mm-hmm. people aren't going to be categorized as an expert in anything medical or anything that they're testifying to because they're not experts in that. What it is is they, they're they experts in the terms of, in, in that they took this course, okay? So you're looking at a 72-hour course with some you know, practical applications, and then the final determination of whether or not you're qualified is rests in the hands of two other guys who passed the same test. So you're really, they're certifying each other. <laughs> it's one copy after another. You go through the protocol, you're good enough, okay, then you can certify the, you know, the next guy. And it's one of those kind of processes. So you, it's the, you're the one of us kind of uh, you know, uh, approach to being an expert in court. And, again, these people are not experts. This is programs designed by police to be used to secure convictions. But in that program, you're, you're having officers testify to different medical exams, which they have no formal training in a medical mm-hmm. setting. Yeah, and those 12 steps, some of them are very familiar as we've, you know, come up in conversations in the past, some of the uh, uh, tests, that, the sobriety-type tests. Um, can you just highlight a few of the things that, that occur that these people are being certified and what those 12 steps might include that sort of stand out in your mind as, as key things to right, look well, out for? One of the things that stands out, all right, it starts off with a, blood, uh, with a breath alcohol test. So first thing they're screening for is alcohol DUI. And the reason they're doing that is if they can make their case for an over an 08 limit, they're just going to prosecute that. They're not going to bother going with the rest of these things, all right? But, you know, the, the rest of the process does involve interviews, and it do, in, involves other uh, physical uh, examinations and um, performance tests. So... Uh, like you asked, it does have some of the standard um, DUI protocol, the walk and turn, the one-leg stand. Um, an old test, a finger to nose, it makes its way back into this one. And then, uh, you know, the HGN is also in this one as well. So, you know, a lot of the same tests or old tests have been added. But, you know, it should be noted that there's been no studies done. There's no scientific validation of this. It's just that they put these together uh, in this format. But there's no independent scientific study that says that this is in any way accurate um, or approved. Yeah, and it's funny that one of the steps, too, if I remember correctly, and, and maybe you could provide some guidance on this, it seemed to be very subjective to me, which is I believe they, they're asked to judge the appearance of the eyes of the accused or evaluate muscle mass. And, and the response is, well, if, it's, if the muscle mass is too soft, that could be indicative of drug use, or if it's too rigid, that could be indicative. It kind of covers a lot of us, right. um, you know, if, if that becomes a, a one of the points, right? I guess it's the Goldilocks test for muscle tone and whether or not you're under the influence of, of <laughs> some sort of drug. So, yeah. Uh, no, and it, it, it's really unfairly asking uh, police officers. These guys are involved, they're trained and do certain things that involve stopping crime and that sort of thing, not mm-hmm. 
uh, medical examinations. You know, like you said, you're examining for muscle tone. You're checking out vital signs and comparing them from one vital sign. You're doing it three different times. You're comparing vital signs. There's, you know, uh, eye tests. They're they're asked to, um, you know, to, to look at somebody's pupils and determine, you know, what size it is and whether or not somebody's under the influence based on that. So, again, there's a lot of medical stuff that's thrown in here, and it's not being administered by those trained in the medical arts. Yeah. Um, we're, we're talking with Attorney James Dore of LaBelle Law, and he's sharing some thoughts today on traffic stops that include uh, a 12-step evaluation process uh, under a protocol um, that has been released and uh, uh, certification available for police officers looking for possible drug use. James is our, our guide on these weekly discussions, and he, uh, he shares many years of experience as a defense attorney. Um, check out LaBelleLaw.com if you want to get a little bit more on his background and see his training and and some of the work that he has done, as well as a nice, nice collection of past podcasts that uh, that we've done. Um, we, one of the last steps in this process, I believe, was you know asking for blood or urine tests, and, and we've covered that ground in the past, um, and even going back to the, the breathalyzer. Uh, generally uh, or, or consistently, your your voice has said, uh, no, don't do those things. Absolutely, I would I would, if you haven't already said no to this process. It, it, when they start this 12-step process, say no to that. Um, involves a breath alcohol test, a breathalyzer. You know, my advice was always to re- to refuse those, decline that test. Um, and keep in mind, this is a 12-step process. It's supposed to be evaluated in a controlled environment, and the controlled environment happens to be the police station because you've already been placed under arrest. So that should be, you know, kind of clue number one of how fair this process is going to be at that point because you've already been placed under arrest. Yeah, and and as you look at this, if if um, this process is raised in the prosecution, and um, you know the uh, expert analysis is is raised, does that uh, help or hinder your case? Is that something you can go after in terms of how you prepare your defense? Any any officer taking the stand to testify to these this twelve step process is fair game for cross examination. Um, also, it is fair game if the science comes into this, that we could present our own experts. So, you know, this is kind of where the game is rigged a little bit, because if you want to come in and challenge these things, you know, the the, the, the state's using witnesses that are already on their payroll. You know, they have an officer on the payroll. He has to come in and and do these things. But Mm -hmm. as a defendant, you want to challenge, you have to pay for on your own the expert to come to court to educate your lawyer to come to testify as to these scientific principles. So that's kind of where the game is stacked against the defendant a little bit, because you've got to bring in somebody if you're going to challenge this sort of thing, all right? Because mm-hmm. the, the science is not behind these tests. I mean, the, the, this, this is ripe to challenge. These, this 12-step uh, process is certainly ripe to challenge. And um, said cross-examination. Yeah, yeah, and I want to ask you. Yeah, to ask you. So you would have uh, people that you would deem as experts to, uh, from a scientific or medical point of view, that you would be able to rely on. Although there's a cost associated, but you do have those resources available to you. Absolutely, absolutely. And those are the experts that are truly. Uh, they have a curriculum vitae behind their testimony to to say, I know my science and I know how these things mm-hmm. work. You know. So sure. yeah, that's uh, that's very important in these in this analysis. Now I want to turn uh, turn to a little different topic here, uh, or a different angle on this topic before I let you go today. And uh, um, 
you know, as, as we have conversation about drug use and driving, uh, I think people immediately think of illegal drugs. But I think it's entirely possible that someone um, has taken prescription drugs, something that they're supposed to take, that they're allowed to take, and that could potentially impair their driving. Maybe it didn't. Um, in those cases, if an officer stops you, and I would think particularly of an elderly person, um, if you have taken drugs that are prescribed to you, again, that's probably not something you want to say out loud uh, at the time of the stop. Well, right, right. In fact, the first case I had using these protocols was somebody with prescription, uh, with a prescription drug, and it was not anything illegal. But that mm-hmm. person had admitted to exactly what uh, he or she was taking. Um, when you know the, uh, all the details, is all just 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 put out there for the officer because it was a legal substance. Why should she be afraid to talk to the officer mm-hmm. about that, right? Whereas you get, um, you know, let's say somebody with illegal drugs in their car, well, they may be inclined to hide that and not, not be so open about it. So it's one yeah. of those that the person acting legally and, and you know, cooperating with the police is just handing them the case that they have no idea that they're, that they're doing. You know, it's, it's inequity built into the law, I think. Yeah, and because, you know, even if they're taking – a legally prescribed drug. The point, I, th- I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, from the prosecution's point of view is, well, it's impairing your ability to drive, and the violation is the impairment, not the use of the drug. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying there there can't be a case for impairment by these these prescription drugs, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little unfair that to ask people about their prescription drugs and they openly admit to what they're having, not knowing that they're admitting to a crime. And they might, you know, shouldn't that person be advised a little bit? Like, you know, you are being uh, assessed for a DUI arrest right now. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's the fairness of process, and we come back to that a lot on this show, but. It's that fairness of process that, uh, you know, it's important. Yeah. Yeah, and as you said, a very uh, central element of many of our conversations here is uh, defending the rights of the the accused, and that's uh, the role that uh, James Dore takes. And so we'll thank him for being with us today. Great conversation, as always. Um, Excellent uh, to have him with us. So thanks, James, for being here. We'll wrap things up. Uh, James Dore of Lavelle Law is uh, our guest each month on Liberty and the Law. Uh, So much valuable information from him. Uh, you can find his profile and more information at lavellelaw.com, and he's always ready to have a conversation with you directly, 847-705-7555, um, anytime you want to reach out. And, of course, uh, plenty of our past podcasts are available at lavellelaw.com, so we encourage you to go back and give those a listen as well. Thanks so much for being with us.